Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi there, welcome back. This will be for 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read the heading first. Saints walk by faith and seek tabernacles of immortal glory. Gospel reconciles man to God. His ministers carry the word of reconciliation to the world. Verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In other words, a resurrected body. Brigham Young said, when the faithful Latter-day Saints come to the end of their earthly existence, we know that if our earthly house of our tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The faithful Latter-day Saint knows that the dissolution of this mortal house will introduce his immortal spirit to freedom and de- from death and punishment and to the enjoyment of the society of the spirits of just men made perfect. To a person who has such a glorious hope, everything is bright and beautiful. Verse 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven if so he, if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked for we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened not with not for that we would be unclothed but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life those who keep the new and everlasting covenant are promised that they will come forth in the morning of the first resurrection clothed with glory immortality and eternal lives Paul has reference to this when he speaks of being clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Nephi saw the day when the righteous would be clothed with purity, yea, even with the robe of righteousness. The greatness of such a moment is the earnest desire of the righteous. They long for a glorious resurrection. As Paul says, we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon. The root of the Greek term to be clothed upon is uh, endusis, translated into English as endowment. To be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven, is to be endowed with the same kind of glorified body Christ enjoys, and to be enrobed with the same robes of power as indicated in Doctrine and Covenants. Mine apostle shall stand at my right hand at the day of my coming in a pillar of fire, being clothed with robes of righteousness. For they shall come forth, yea, even the dead which died in me, to receive a crown of righteousness, and to be clothed upon, even as I am to be with me, that we may be one. That was by Brick England. Verse 5. Now he that hath wrought he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Remember we talked about the earnest of the Spirit being the down payment. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must appear, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive a reward of the deeds done in the body, things according to what, we, what he hath done, whether good or bad. President Kimball said, The book of life will show the earthly activities of all of us, and the book of the angels will give the entire story of every man and, and what he did in the light and in the shadows and in the open and in the corners 
all that is said in the secret places and from the housetops, all that was thought and expressed, whether good or bad. There will be no escape. The honest judge will give full value to all for their good works and will not overlook the other. God is just. I know that every man will enjoy every blessing which he has earned, and I know that every man will receive no blessing through mercy, through mercy as that word is often connoted. Or can, can, connotated? Connotated? Okay. Jesus will be tempered with mercy, but not replaced by it. I am positive that no man will ever be judged without opportunity, blessed beyond his deserts, nor punished for something for which he was not responsible. Verse 11, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Joseph Smith said, the disappointment of hopes and expectations at the resurrection would be indescribably dreadful for those who have ignored or rejected revealed truths. Verse 12, for we command not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that we may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For we bear record that we are not beside ourselves. For whether we glory, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your, your sakes. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then are all dead. And he died for all, that they may that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, live we no more after the flesh, yea, though we once lived after the flesh, yet since we have known Christ, now henceforth live we no more after the flesh. Therefore, if any man live in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In other words, we're born again. And receiveth all the things of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given, a, given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God is in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. In other words, we would be so forgiven that it would be as if we had never sinned. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God be, did, did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Hugh Nibley wrote, the, the word atonement is only found once in the New Testament. It's found a number of times in the Old Testament, but only once in the New Testament. And it's not found at all in the Revised Standard Version. They don't use atonement at all. The word doesn't even appear in the New Testament. They use instead a reconciliation, keeping it quite literal from reconcilio. And that's the word that he uses here in verse 19. Reconciliation means to return and sit down beside someone again. You return and then you sit down. You sit down by the side of the Lord and you sit down again because you've been there before. It's reconciliation. Reconciliation is the process of ransoming man from his state of sin and spiritual darkness and of restoring him to a state of harmony and unity with deity. Through it, God and man are no longer enemies. Man who was once carnal and evil, who lived after the manner of the flesh, becomes a new creature of the Holy Ghost. He is born again, and even as a little child, he is alive in Christ. Reconcile yourselves to the will of God, and not to the will of the devil and the flesh, and remember, after you, ye are reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. That was in Second Nephi. Verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
I would like to draw attention to a few aspects of the Savior's vicarious suffering that often escape notice but that are important for understanding our relationship with him. First, Jesus Christ did not just assume the punishment for our sins, he took the guilt as well. The sin, the experiences itself, the experience itself, with all of its negative consequences and ramifications and not just the penalty for sin, became his. This is a crucial distinction. In the atonement, Jesus does not just suffer our punishment for us. He becomes the guilty party in our place. He becomes guilty for us and experiences our guilt. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In Christ there is a real transfer of guilt for innocence. Through the oneness of our covenant relationship, my guilt becomes Jesus' guilt, which he experienced and for which he suffered. At the same time, his innocence and perfection become mine, and I am rendered clean and worthy. In Christ our sins cease to be ours, and as far as the justice of God is concerned, we never committed them. Through the atonement, we are not merely forgiven, we are rendered innocent once again. And that's what justification does. It makes us innocent as if we had never sinned. What a wonderful thing the atonement does for us. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.